Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 193 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I'm joined by naturalist Ivan Kwan to review the scaly friends with the world's most chaotic energy, Asian water monitors. We talked about the history and landscape of Singapore, smelling in stereo, Krakatoa, and the giant lizards showing up where you least expect them, from treetops to shipwrecks, racetracks, and even toilets. It's truly their world we are just living in it. Also, just as a heads up, there was a minor technical issue with this episode that resulted in my audio quality not being as crisp and clear as it usually is. Luckily, I'm not doing most of the talking, but if it's giving you a hard time, you might want to try using headphones for this episode. So find a nice basking rock and a carcass to chew on. Just the Zoo of Us presents Asian Water Monitors with Ivan Kwan. Hello, friends. This is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. I'm so excited this week to be talking to a friend. Your name might be familiar to some sort of eagle-eared listeners who have been listening for a while, because you've come up before. Uh, just your voice haven't, hasn't been heard yet, so I'm so excited to have you here to actually talk to me. This is Ivan Kwan. Say hi, Ivan. Hi, everyone. My name is Ivan Kwan. Um, very glad to be here, and my pronouns are he, him. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to actually get to talk to you. The first time I think you've been mentioned on this podcast was after we talked about the Kalugo. Yeah. And you sent me some pictures that you took of Kalugos that are so cute. The cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. I was so jealous. I was like, you just have these around. <laughs> <laughs> like you just get to like see, like look up and see Kalugos in the trees. That's amazing to me. Was that amazing? Yeah. Um, it's always really cool to see Kalugos because even here, um, well, for those of the listeners who are not aware, I'm actually based in Singapore. So we are a tiny little country in Southeast Asia, almost right on the equator. And given that we are in a different part of the world, a lot of the animals that we find here are very different from what people might be more familiar with in, let's say, Europe or North America. But even here in Singapore, there are a lot of people who are not aware that the Kalugo exists or it's a creature that can be seen quite often um, if you go into the right places, in the right habitats. It's really cool to see these animals. Um, and in fact, maybe for me, a Kalugo is a bit like, oh, it's kind of like, it's a bit of a familiar species. But you know, like I've never seen a wild raccoon or I've never seen a wild black bear or alligator mm. or you know, animals that people might find familiar in other parts of the world. They're completely alien to me. And whereas species that people see all the time over here in Singapore are probably animals that people in other parts of the world would, would really love to see in the wild for, uh, for themselves. Here in Florida, something that is very joyful to me is when people come here that aren't from here and get to see some of the animals that we have here that are like unique to 
our place in the world. Things that to me may seem very commonplace, like, oh yeah, that's the manatees. Yeah, sure, they come around every year. You know, like things that may seem kind of, they may over time become familiar and common when you get to see them through the fresh eyes of somebody who doesn't know, like who isn't familiar with them. That kind of like rekindles the excitement for me. I'm like, oh yeah, they are actually really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice to see from an outsider's perspective because especially in Southeast Asia, we get a lot of people who come in for wildlife tourism, especially for bird watchers because they are, we do have quite a lot of unique birds. But we do also have quite a number of people who come to Singapore and other parts of Southeast Asia to look for the reptiles because we do have a very wide variety of pretty unique species. And some of them can be quite easy to find if you know where to look. We are talking about one of your reptile friends today, and I'm very excited to talk about them. Before we talk about them, I would like to get to know you a little bit. And, you know, you talked about that people come to Singapore for wildlife tourism, which sounds absolutely blissful. I think that would be an amazing place to go. I've never been. But you you have told me that you are a wildlife tour guide and a naturalist. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, your journey and how you got into doing that work. So I grew up with a deep love and passion for animals. So ever since I was a very young child, I already knew that I wanted to do something related to animals. When I grew up, I watched a lot of nature documentaries. I read a lot of books. So for many years, I was very much what people might call an armchair naturalist. So I really knew a lot about animals, but I didn't really get out much to really explore and experience them for myself. My parents did bring me to the zoo and aquarium quite frequently and so that did help to foster my passion. But as I got older, I became a lot more aware of various um, conservation issues around the world, you know, all the images of elephants and rhinos and tigers and, and all those other sort of more charismatic endangered species which we do not have here in Singapore. And then as I got even older, I became more aware that we do have quite a number of very interesting and unique animal species here in Singapore. And it became a bit of a passion of mine to go out and explore and visit these certain places and to really enjoy the experience of viewing these animals out in the wild. And Singapore is a place that a lot of people might know about because every once in a while, we, although we are a very tiny little country, we do end up making international news every once in a while for various reasons. Maybe one of the more famous pop culture representations of Singapore is in the movie Crazy Rich Asians. Now, <laughs> I have to qualify that not all of us are crazy rich. Uh, <laughs> but, but at the same time, a lot of people visit Singapore to view many of its tourist attractions. We have a lot of spots for sightseeing, but we do also have very nice nature reserves and parks and various other green spaces. So people will visit these places and sometimes it can be quite easy to spot various animals ranging all the way from birds down to butterflies and insects and then among all of these you also get reptiles and amphibians certain mammal species do pop up every once in a while but the thing is is that a lot of people focus a lot on the more prettier species so the birds the butterflies for the most part reptiles there is a lot of growing interest among, especially among some of the, 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 the younger nature enthusiasts. But I do kind of feel like they are still a bit underappreciated. As for myself, my own, my journey after I, I grew up, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I, I moved through a few different careers. I was a school teacher for a very short while. And after that, I started volunteering 
with some local nature interest groups. So I did a bit of fieldwork research in many different habitats. So I was doing dabbling a bit in marine stuff for a while. I did some freshwater stuff. I did some terrestrial ecology research. And then I joined a local government agency, the National Parks Board. This is the government agency in Singapore that kind of manages a lot of Singapore's green spaces and also focuses a lot on wildlife research and conservation issues. So I was there for about uh, close to three years for a project. After that project ended, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do after that because I really wanted to focus on wildlife. So I decided to bite the bullet. I became a nature guide. So basically what I do right now, this is something that I used to do as a volunteer with some groups previously. So what I would do right now is that I will bring groups of people down the, the trails in many of the parks and nature reserves, basically pointing out the plants, the animals, talking about, let's say, adaptations. How are these animals and plants adapted to their, their ecosystems? Maybe talk about environmental issues. So sometimes we talk about things like poaching, plastic pollution, human wildlife conflict, and a lot of other stories that can be woven in to help people gain a, a better appreciation of what we have here in Singapore and maybe that can spur differing attitudes, maybe a change in behaviors, right? So basically it's all about trying to get people to care more about nature and wildlife here in Singapore. What types of areas do you typically guide people through? Are these like rainforests? Are they more like, I don't know, grassy space? Like like what is the sort of habitat that you're usually uh, guiding people through? Okay, so um, to give a bit of background, Singapore has unfortunately lost a great deal of its original natural habitat. So Singapore has been an independent nation for 57 years. Previously before that, for many, many centuries, we, uh, Singapore was actually a small little trading post. A lot of empires in the region would use Singapore for trade. So we had Chinese merchants, ships from India, many other empires in Southeast Asia, like many Javanese empires, Siamese empires that would fight over control of Singapore. And eventually, in 1819, Singapore became a British colony. We were governed by the British for quite a long time. When the British, after the British arrived, there was also a surge in deforestation. So basically what happened was that a lot of the original natural habitats in Singapore were, were being cleared. They, they probably did spark a lot of the, the land clearing, but also it was done by a lot of people who were planting cash crops. So we had think crops like pepper, gambier, and, and a lot of other tropical crops that were being planted in these areas where the rainforest was being cleared. And so eventually, what we have now is a very small percentage of the original habitat. So we do have some small nature reserves, but these are really very tiny fragments compared to what we used to have. Along our coastlines, we used to have lots of mangroves as well. Uh, and coral reefs and other coastal marine habitats or just offshore, a lot of these were cleared and it kind of accelerated after we gained independence. So we were a British colony for many years. During World War II, Singapore was occupied by the Japanese for about three years. After the war, the British came back, but at the same time, there was also a growing movement for independence from, from British colonial rule. So Singapore became part of a new nation state called Malaysia in 1963. Unfortunately, there were some political differences and for various reasons, Singapore was kind of kicked out of Malaysia two years later in 1965. <laughs> the common narrative is that we had very few natural resources. And so there was a 
surge in industrialization. That kind of led to a, a lot more clearing of various habitats. So a lot of the original forest was really long gone, but there's also a lot of reclamation of coastal areas, a lot of mangroves, a lot of coral reefs, and a lot of other coastal habitats were all cleared. But at, at the same time, there was also a movement to plant lots of greenery in the urban spaces for people to enjoy and for recreation. Back then, I think biodiversity conservation was not really a priority because in many respects, it was all about making sure that the country survives. So it, it's a very interesting mix. So right now, we we do still have small pockets of natural habitats. We got little nature reserves which contain tiny remnants of rainforest. We also have um, some nature reserves in the coastal areas, so they protect things like mangroves and other coastal wetlands. You also have some small little islands off Singapore that conserve coral reefs, seagrasses and other marine habitats. And besides all this, we also have lots of urban parks and other nature areas. So we also have places where that were once occupied by people. So you have people who used to have little settlements and villages. They would grow their own crops. They would have their own fruit orchards and all that. But, but because they were all resettled, they were moved out of these villages to live in urban housing developments. So all these villages were abandoned and over time, the, some sort of forest grew back. And so you've got a whole wide blend of different habitats from uh, original forest and mangroves and other more natural ecosystems to a more human-dominated landscape. So now that we have kind of a little bit of context for the landscape that our reptile friend lives in, today we're talking about the Asian water monitor. So for people listening who are like, what on earth is a water monitor? Could you introduce us a little bit? All right, so the water monitor or the Asian water monitor, also called the Malayan water monitor, is just one of about 80 plus species of monitor lizards found in the world today. I didn't realize there were so many. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. So a lot of people will know the most iconic, the most famous monitor lizard species, the Komodo dragon. And that's already been featured in in one of your episodes previously. The big boy. (laughs) Yeah, that's the, 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 the biggest one. And that's the one that I think most people only know that one species. For people who keep uh, reptiles as pets, maybe if you're in the hobby, you probably know of a lot more other species. And in fact, the, the Asian water monitor is one of those species that does get quite a lot of attention in the reptile keeping hobby as well. So monitor lizards, for those of you who are unfamiliar with them, they are found across a large area of Africa, Asia, Australasia, all the way to some of the Pacific Islands like Palau, Guam, and the Mariana Islands. And they range very greatly in size and ecology as well. So we've got the smaller species, which are some tiny ones in Australia, which live in more arid, rocky areas, which are about 22, 23 centimeters, which translates to about 9 inches. Oh, thank you for the imperial unit conversion. (laughs) So those are little guys. And then you have this whole spectrum of different sizes and different ecologies all the way up to the Komodo dragon, which is up to about 3 meters or 10 feet. <laughs> you said like 9 inches, like that was like, oh, that's a little guy. And yeah. like, I'm used to anoles, right? Which are these tiny little, like a few inch long little guys. So like, even still, even on the smallest end, these were still some chunky lizards. Yeah, they're not tiny. They're not tiny like like, like those little geckos that, that people might see yeah. in their houses every once in a while. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got the Komodo dragon, 10 feet long. Uh, apparently in the wild, they can weigh up to 81 kilograms, which is about close to 180 pounds. Hefty. 
big absolute unit. <laughs> right. And and for and for a lot of people, they might know about another type of lizard called the Tegus. Yeah. Also quite popular in the pet trade. Yeah. They are also very invasive here. <laughs> yeah, so I've read. So so Tegus, they are very convergent with monitor lizards in many respects. But the interesting thing is that they are unrelated. So if you look at lizards as a whole, monitor lizards, they are closely related related to a group that comprises things like the healer monster. They also have the alligator lizards and the glass lizards that people in North America might be familiar with. So that is the group of lizards that the monitor lizards belongs to. So monitor lizards, unfortunately, they are quite underrepresented in pop culture. So, I mean, if you watch a nature documentary about wildlife in certain parts of the world, you will see other types of monitor lizards being featured. But let's say in pop culture, most of the time it's Komodo dragons. You have a couple of movies like The Rescuers Down Under. There was a, a Goanna, <gasps> yeah. which is the Australian name for a monitor lizard named Joanna, mm. who loves, who loves eggs. There is one trait that you will see in monitor lizards. In Infant Gali, there is, there's this other very short appearance by a Goanna whose, whose stick is all about singing a, a song about wanting to eat the main character of, of that show. They do other things, yeah. y'all. That's not their whole personality. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I did manage to find one little bit about the Asian water monitor. There was a Disney Channel show called Jesse, and one of the so-called main characters in that show was uh, a pet Asian water monitor called Mr. Kipling. Oh. <gasps> it became Mrs. Kipling subsequently because in the, in the story, that monitor lizard laid eggs eventually. So, it became uh, from Mr. Kipling to Mrs. Kipling. Oh, how sweet. Yeah. See, that's nice. That's like a nice depiction of them where they're not just an antagonist trying to eat the eggs of whoever yes, the story's about. Really. Yeah. <laughs> there's also a there's a Komodo dragon in Agretzko. Oh, yes. Uh, Suboni, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, so no, like, it's like Komodo dragons really hawk their limelight when it comes to mortal lizards. But, you know... There are other species. <laughs> in my head, I can see the slow-mo BBC footage of the Komodo dragon just like swaggering back and forth. And it's got the drool everywhere. Yeah. Like it makes a very dramatic scene. <laughs> yeah. and the Asian water monitor is a lot like that, just slightly smaller. Um, the Asian water monitor, scientific name is Varanus salvatore. It is actually a contender for the world's second largest lizard after the Komodo dragon. Uh, a handful of them can, can reach up to two meters, uh, which is about six and a half feet. And there are some that can get even slightly longer, but the water monitor is by far the heaviest among them. So there is one exceptional record from Sri Lanka in the 1930s that was measured up to about 3.21 meters, which is about 10 and a half feet in length. That's an exceptional wow. record. It's always being published and, and, and repeated in many references and texts, but I'm not too sure whether it is, it was accurately That's measured. It's like the Shaquille O'Neal of yeah. water monitors. <laughs> it's huge. It's actually possibly exceeds many Komodo dragons in terms of length, but on average, uh, most Asian water monitors, they can weigh up to about 20 kilograms, which is about 44 pounds, which doesn't sound like a lot in comparison to a human being, right? But 44 pounds, 20 kilograms is huge for a lizard. That's a lot of chickens. That's like... Yes. I, I don't know how many bananas that will be. So the, the Asian water monitor, um, it has a very wide distribution across Asia. The western part of the range includes Sri Lanka and parts of India. Stretches all the way throughout mainland Southeast Asia, southern China. They reach 
the island of Indonesia and they kind of almost reached the island of New Guinea but not just there yet. I think maybe the, the distance between the islands is, is too wide and the waters are, are too deep but they have a very wide distribution and they are able to colonize and get established on remote islands. They are, they are called water monitors because they are really really good at swimming and this allows them to really cross large distances by sea. They just swim across. So one of the reasons why I love the Asian water monitor is because here in Southeast Asia, we do face a lot of conservation issues. We have experiencing a lot of habitat loss, a lot of deforestation, and unfortunately, a lot of our large carnivores, uh, which are very iconic and very charismatic. People think about tigers and leopards and sun bears and, and many other species. They're not doing too well right now. So there are large areas of Southeast Asia where these large carnivores are either only found in national parks or they are already locally extinct. Like here in Singapore, the last tiger was shot in the 1930s. So we've gone a long period of time without any large mammalian carnivores anymore. However, we do have some reptiles that have been able to kind of adapt to human-dominated spaces. And they don't not only adapt, but they thrive amongst humans. A lot of people might, might be uncomfortable with the idea of having a, a six-foot-long lizard living next to you. But the thing is, is that they've become such a common and iconic part of the landscape, especially in the urban areas that many people kind of like, yeah, they're a bit scary, they're a bit intimidating, but at the same time, it doesn't take long for people to realize that these reptiles are actually pretty harmless. For the most part, I, I, I wouldn't say they're completely <laughs> harmless, but you know, it's a large carnivore that can coexist alongside people. And as many parts of Southeast Asia continues to, to urbanize and develop, I kind of think that, that there will be a lot of winners and losers the Asian Water Monitor is probably going to be one of the, the winners in the long run. Kind of with that in mind, with this idea of them being these survivors and thrivers in, in a world that is changing around them, I would love to get into our categories to rate the Asian Water Monitor. So if this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, what we do is review animals by rating them out of 10. And the first category is effectiveness. This is how uh, well the animal is adapted physically, things it has built into its body. What do you give the Asian water monitor out of 10 for effectiveness? So in terms of, of effectiveness, I'll give them a 10 out of 10. Solid 10 I could feel 10. that one coming. Yeah. yeah, I could feel that coming. <laughs> they are so well adapted to doing various things. So, so monitor lizards in general, they cover all sorts of different habitats. You've got desert species, you've got species that live in arid, semi-arid areas, live in savannas and grasslands. But one type of monitor lizard that keeps popping up among the entire family is the semi-aquatic model. So it's basically the one that will live in areas near water, so near rivers, lakes, coastal areas like mangroves. And what they'll do is that they will, they can spend time in the trees, they forage on the ground, but they also do a lot of swimming. So the Asian water monitor, like many of the other, other semi-aquatic species, its tail is kind of like flattened from side to side. And so when you see them swimming in the water, they just use the tail to propel themselves and they'll be swimming at the surface, kind of like very lazily drifting along. They can put on a burst of speed if they need to, but for, more, for the most part, it's just, it's kind of like a, the crocodile, you know, just the head mm. and the body and the tail is just lazily sweeping from side to side yeah. and it swims along. In fact, here in Singapore, we've had quite a number of instances where people see uh, an Asian water monitor swimming along and they panic and they call the authorities because they think it's a crocodile. 
could okay, I could see that. I'm gonna cut people some slack because yeah, I yeah. could definitely I, I, I can see, especially like when they're young. You yeah. know, like if a crocodile is young, I could see. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that tracks. Because <laughs> the way they fold their little legs in, yeah. you know, like that's it's a very consistent sort of form, like where they just like go torpedo mode and like just zoop their little legs in and then wiggle around like like a wiggle powered <laughs> swimming. <laughs> Yeah, it's really nice to see them、uh, when you see how effortless it is when they are just swimming along, and they don't just swim at the surface; they can apparently dive and spend time underwater. Oh. Yeah. So apparently, I'm not too sure how they tested this, but apparently, they can hold their breath and stay submerged for、um, half an hour, thirty minutes. Whoa. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, there's there's a photo that、uh, a scuba diver took of an Asian water monitor somewhere off Bali. So basically, what happened was that this guy was diving at a shipwreck, and he found an Asian water monitor in the shipwreck that was submerged. What about, are you doing here? Yeah, it's like twelve <laughs> meters. Apparently, twelve meters is almost forty feet deep, and the mo- monitor was just chilling underwater, <laughs> supposedly, supposedly breathing air from a, a little air pocket that was below the shipwreck, and just chilling. Oh, that's chilling so、there. cool! Yeah. It, <laughs> I can, I can, I can show you the the picture of it right now. I gotta see it because、okay. I can imagine. Okay, anyone who has ever like played a video game that allows you to like swim around underwater has probably had the experience of swimming around underwater, and then by some weird glitch of the game, some creature spawns at like the bottom of the water that you that you know is not supposed to be there. So like. <laughs> A lot of times, this would happen in Skyrim, where you'd be like swimming at the bottom of the lake, and then like an elk spawns at the bottom, and you're like, "Why are you here?" <laughs> like that's got to be what it feels like when you're like exploring a shipwreck. You're like, "There's a giant lizard down here. Why?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think a lot of people who are into paleontology will know about those giant extinct lizards called the mosasaurs from the Cretaceous period, back when dinosaurs ruled the earth. Some people, some scientists think that they are. Closely related to monitor lizards, some other scientists say they're probably not so closely related. But in any case, when I see this picture, I just think in a speculative evolution scenario, you give this about another ten million years, maybe the Asian water monitors will become the next iteration of the of the mosasaurs.、Uh, so I am looking at the picture. It is a gorgeous picture. I'll link it in the episode description because I think everybody on the planet should see this picture. And you know what it looks like to me? It looks like a dragon,、yeah. like curled around its treasure hoard. It just—it looks like such a regal dragon.、Mm-hmm. And it's just so bizarre to to see a lizard that you normally see up on land, you know, on the seashore, maybe swimming at the surface, but it's forty feet deep among the coral reef. <laughs> Can you imagine what those reef fishes must be experiencing? Like you're just a reef fish swimming around. You've never seen a lizard before in your life, because why would you?、Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this dragon literally descends from the sky. And you're like,、ah, what is that? Yeah, must be terrifying for uh for them. <laughs> so an- another example of how well they can swim is linked to the island of Krakatoa, which was a volcano that erupted. So. A lot of people might know about the story. the The volcano erupted in the eighteen eighties. It kind of like exploded the entire island. The assumption is that everything on the island was was wiped out. Embarrassingly, I、uh, heard of it、uh, from SpongeBob. Ah,、uh, it's okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then apparently, less than ten years later, in eighteen eighty nine, some explorers who visited the island again, and guess what they found on that island? No, Asian water monitors. <laughs> So it's like don't mind if I do. Yeah, it's like 
it's less than 10 years after the island was scoured clean of all whatever was living on it and you got Asian water, water monitors chilling on the beach, you know, just doing their own thing. You know what? It's kind of like uh, every time there's like a bad storm or something, a bunch of people will be like, you know what? I bet there's no lines at Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> and then they all go because they're like, everyone's yeah. gone. Let's go. That's- it's, it's free real estate. <laughs> it's free real estate. <laughs> like Those beaches are empty, baby. Let's yeah. go. We got a private <laughs> island. This is amazing. Yeah. That was smart. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's really amazing you know, to, to think about how far they can swim. Like There are populations all over the tiny little islands of Southeast Asia. So they're so closely tied to water that you see them practically everywhere where there's water. So here in Singapore, we've got large canals and drains. We've got reservoirs, lakes and ponds in many of our parks and gardens. So you've got Asian water monitors pretty much everywhere. So you might be going for a jog along the path along the canals. There might be an Asian water monitor just chilling on the path or in the canal. If you go to the beach, uh, chances are you will find an Asian water monitor. There are many beach resorts in the region where you know you can just be chilling on the beach or in the pool, and then suddenly a large six foot long lizard just starts walking through <laughs> through the, the the hotel lobby. This sort of thing. It's reminding me a lot of the iguanas of yeah. Central America. It is reminding me a lot of iguanas. <laughs> Pretty much, and and those get very used to human beings. But besides swimming, they're also very good at climbing trees. So what happens is that, of course, you know, being so huge and chunky when they are when they are adults, of course, they are kind of more limited uh, by what trees they can climb. But even the large adults, if they can, they will often climb up onto the trees to rest, to bask in the sun, and, and the sort of thing, or to just digest after a heavy meal. And so sometimes what they often do is is they will climb up onto a tree above the water, and if anything spooks them, let's say people get too close or if they're just feeling threatened or if, or if they just want to change from basking in the sun to swimming in the river, they just fall off. <laughs> surprise! Yeah, surprise! <laughs> Splash! You know, it, it, I've actually gotten spooked a few times because what happens is that I might be, be walking in the forest and, you know, just looking out for things and suddenly this large animal falls out of a tree next to me, lands <laughs> on the ground with a loud thud, and then starts making a beeline for uh, for the for the nearby water body. And I always get startled when that happens because you never know what, what it could be. <laughs> I have so much respect for them being like, mm, I want to be down now. Let me just fall. Like, I'm not going to climb. I'm just going to let gravity do all the work for me. I feel like I wish I could do something like that in my house where instead of having stairs down, I wish I could just have like a giant like pool of water on the first floor. <laughs> and when I want to go downstairs, I just like fall. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And of course, the, the little babies, when they're younger, they do spend a lot of time climbing up trees because that's where it's safer. Because the little babies, when they are, when they are young and tiny and vulnerable, they are taken by a lot of other predators, including larger individuals of the same species. They can be cannibals. So the Asian water monitor is carnivorous. It's an important predator and scavenger in many parts of Southeast Asia. So like I mentioned earlier on, we have lost a lot of the large mammalian carnivores in, especially in the urban areas of Southeast Asia. So the Asian water monitor is now kind of one of the last large predators and scavengers remaining in these urban ecosystems. And so what they do is that they have a forked tongue. So if you spend time with a monitor lizard, whether it's a Komodo dragon or some other species, 
you will see them often flicking the tongue in and out of their mouths. It works the same way like, like a snake's tongue. It picks up sand molecules in the air or from the ground, goes back into the mouth. And they've got the Jacobson's organ at the roof of the mouth that helps to pick up the molecules. That helps with them finding food. And because the tongue is forked, they will be able to figure out whether the, the food is closer to the left side or the right side. He said they can kind of smell in stereo. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that that was why it was shaped like that. That's really interesting, though, because I've definitely seen that forked tongue shape. But I, I guess I didn't know that was why yeah. <laughs> it's like that. That's really awesome. Yeah. So when they find food, they have lots of sharp teeth, which they use for grabbing prey, not really for chewing. Um, and the teeth are sharp and curved backwards. So when prey struggles, it kind of hard to wriggle out of the mouth. What do they feed on? So little babies, they will start on things like insects and spiders. They move up to things like snails and crabs. And eventually, as they grow bigger and bigger, they also start to take larger and larger prey. So they will go up, go after things like frogs and smaller lizards and snakes, birds, small mammals. But one thing that they will often be seen consuming, especially in urban areas, is carrion. So basically, you've got a dead animal of some sort and you will see the Asian water monitors all having a, a buffet feasting on, on the rotting carcass. Very often when I, when I see the Asian water monitors out in the wild, when, when I do my guided walks or when I'm just doing my, my field work, basically they are just going for a large dead fish and the fish is already bloated, it smells, it's covered in flies, but the monitor lizards just happily consuming it. And what they sometimes do is that if the item is kind of large, they can actually loosen their lower jaws and allows them to consume pretty large prey items whole. They don't do a lot of chewing. It's not really as insane as what snakes can do, but they can still have a pretty large gait and, and swallow large food items. And if it's too big, what they will often do is that they will hold it down with their, with their claw. So basically, they have five fingers and five toes on each limb. And each, each limb is, is armed with, with very sharp claws that you use for climbing trees and for digging. And so they, they hold it down and they will use their mouths to slowly rip off chunks of, of flesh if they can. Or they might even pick it up and trash it about. And in the midst of all the threshing, maybe parts of it will, will fly off. That makes me wonder, you know, something that I also think of when I think of the Komodo dragons is, and that I wonder whether it applies to the water monitor as well is the venom. The aspect of like that, that grody <laughs> saliva. <laughs> Do water monitors have like that venomous saliva as well? Uh, fun fact, we actually don't know. Oh! <laughs> From my understanding is that a lot of the studies that were done looked at Komodo dragons and some Australian species of water lizards. But, uh, I think the assumption is that the Asian water monitor is probably venomous. I don't think it's been confirmed just yet, but it's probably likely that, that they do also have some form of venom. But in any case, you know, if, if they are going for smaller prey items, the, the venom is kind of a bit like an overkill. And, and you kind of. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, like, what do you need it for? <laughs> and you kind of don't really need venom if you are eating a lot of carrion because it's not going anywhere. You don't need to immobilize it. That's true. Yeah, why bother at <laughs> yeah. that point? Yeah. Because I know one of the things with the Komodo dragons is that they like, tend to take down large prey cause, so that they could just kind of like do the one bite and be like, ah, I'll get you later. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But if it's right there, what are you, who are you chasing? Yeah. So the Asian water monitor, they will often go for, like I mentioned, they, they love crabs, they love fish, they love uh, eating other smaller creatures, they love eggs. So what they often do is that people will see them digging up. If they are on the beach, they might see an Asian water monitor digging up a sea turtle nest 
kind of sad for the turtles, but you know, it's nature. They will, Circle of life, yeah. unfortunately. I'm <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> they will go for crocodile nests as well if mummy crocodile isn't isn't watching. And they also climb trees to raid birds' nests. In fact, traditionally, a lot of communities in Southeast Asia didn't didn't really like Asian water monitors because they they would pose a threat to poultry. So you have chickens or ducks. The monitor lizards might come by, might grab a chicken or a duck, might eat the eggs and all kind of thing. They all do also possibly take larger prey. So I am aware of a record in Singapore where a large Asian water monitor grabbed a piglet of a wild boar in a forest reserve in Singapore. Oh no, yeah, that's so th- quite... That's a pretty ambitious meal. Pigs are not easy to take down. <laughs> Definitely. And, and it was right where the, the mother wild boar was there. So it's... <gasps> yeah. I could never, like, I don't think I would be able to wrangle a baby boar away from mommy boar. I don't think I, as like an adult human being, would be able to do that. Yeah, I, it, <laughs> I think she would gore me. <laughs> I, it's something that I think most people would never ever think of doing. But you know, this this guy, he was there just uh, watching wildlife. He saw this little family of wild boars running through the forest. And, and these this were pretty small piglets. So, so the, the, the little cutie, cute ones, you know, still the stripes on the body. So, so they're still pretty young. Oh. Yeah, and then this this large Asian water monitor that was hiding in the bushes just came up, grabbed the piglet, and swallowed it whole. That would be devastating if this episode was about wild boars. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like that that meme is going around now. You know, you got bear eats a fish in a bear documentary versus a bear eats a fish in a fish documentary. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, we're like cheering on the you know the bad guy in their story. Yeah. <laughs> And then over here in Singapore as well, another issue that we do have is that we have quite a number of invasive species that are being released into many of our aquatic ecosystems. So for example, um, species that people in the US might be familiar with, uh, American bullfrogs, uh, red-eared sliders, um, the little pond, pond turtles. So uh, they are commonly seen in the trade as pets and for human consumption in the case of the bullfrogs. People release them into the wild and they do pose a risk in becoming invasive. So we have seen the Asian water, water monitors eating the, the American bullfrogs. Get them! <laughs> yeah, get them! The red ear sliders, it's quite interesting because although they are everywhere in Singapore now, they are in fact our most common turtle species in Singapore, even though they are not native. We don't really know for sure how many of them uh, are actually breeding here and how many of them are just new people dumping unwanted pets. Because although we do have records of them of the red sliders coming up to 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 nest they were lay the eggs in the soil near near the water bodies we do also have a lot of sightings of the asian water monitor finding the red slider nest digging up the eggs and, and eating them whole so it's possible that the, the asian water monitors are kind of like helping to to keep a check on the reproduction of the red sliders at least here in singapore they're like what is that a pond turtle nest don't mind if i do <laughs> stop right there criminal scum <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not the animal's fault that they are out of, out of place. Yeah. And sometimes we do, you get people who dump like giant fish, people who throw alligator gar, arapaimas and other huge fish into our water bodies and our ponds and lakes. Sometimes they live, the, this fish survive, sometimes they don't. But when they do die, you get these images of the Asian water monitors having a feast, just feasting <laughs> on, the, on the humongous alligator gar 
our airplane. Said so we're eating body. good today. Yeah. And alligator gar, they are tough. Yeah. Like it is really difficult to get to the meat of them. Mm-hmm. So you got to be pretty strong to get through those like armor plate scales. Yeah, there are people who have seen water monitors feasting on on the large dead pythons. Every once in a while, you got a big python that dies on the open, and the monitor lizards are they're kind of like just helping to clean up all all the dead bodies and preventing the spread of diseases that could devastate other wildlife populations. Yeah, they're they're adapting really well to like the presence of humans, but also like helping the rest of the ecosystem adapt along with them. Yeah. Hey there, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're rating ingenuity and aesthetics for Asian water monitors. So stick around. Trans representation in media is at an all-time high with trans entertainers gracing the screens large and small. But trans voices, especially black trans voices, are rarely centered in our own stories. That's why we bring you a new limited series called We See Each Other, the podcast, co-hosted by me, journalist, and better half of the Max Fun Podcast, Fanta, Travel Anderson, and me, award-winning journalist and media personality, Shar Jossel. All of it is based on my book, We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film, now listen, folks, we're having a very different kind of conversation. It's giving kitchen table talk. Mm-hmm. We get into the discourse, honey. Tune into We See Each Other, the podcast at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get Slayworthy Audio. The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Diablo 4. Final Fantasy 16. Street Fighter 6. Baldur's Gate 3. Starfield. Spider-Man 2. Master Detective Archives Raincoat for Nintendo Switch? No, is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge time for video games. You need somebody to tell you what's good, what's not so good, and what's amazing. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. We're the hosts of Triple Click a video game podcast for anyone who likes games. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. So if this is your first time listening to this podcast, in addition to effectiveness, we also rate animals on ingenuity, which are behavioral adaptations. These are things the animal is actually actively doing to solve the problems that it faces, maybe compete, get an edge. Uh, what would you give Asian water monitors out of 10 for ingenuity? I would give them an 8 upon 10. I mean, they're not geniuses. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, not, they're, they're not doing complex math equations, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. I mean, if that's our if that's our goalpost, then I think uh, I don't think there's a lot of portraits up in that winner's circle. <laughs> yeah, I, but but they are doing quite well. So one thing about Asian water monitors is that uh, monitor lizards in general they are often seen as being comparatively quite intelligent compared to many other many other lizards, right? I mean, yeah. reptile intelligence is generally very underrated, very underappreciated. But water lizards do stand out in being quite intelligent. You've got many um, examples of pet Asian water monitors that become quite affectionate. They become quite friendly and used to people. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had one as a pet? Oh, um, here in Singapore, we can't keep uh, most reptiles as pets. So the only legal pet is the, the red slider. Ah. Yeah. So over here, uh, no snakes, no, no lizards as pets. People do keep them, but it, it, it's illegal, that kind of thing. But but hush hush about it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that seems like what? Okay, a six foot long lizard seems like a tough one to hide. Yeah. Like if you're trying to fly under the radar <laughs> with like a secret pet, like having a giant lizard seems like someone's gonna notice. <laughs> yeah. So 
Uh, one thing about the Asian Water Monitor is that they become very habituated to people. So in Southeast Asia, you have many urban parks and other green spaces where they become so used to people go, uh, going by that they'll just sit there, they'll be basking in the sun, lying down on the ground, lazing around, do, not doing much. And you can come up, you can go up to them. Ideally, not too close because they can still be dangerous if provoked. But people can get quite close to them, take photos. Some people try to touch the tail and all that, which I do not recommend because don't do that. Yeah, please, no. don't, please, please <laughs> do, do, don't try that. But you know the, the the Asian water monitors they do get very used to human presence. There's been one observation of an Asian water monitor somewhere in Sri Lanka that used its tail to sweep fish out of the water onto land <gasps> and remove their home turf advantage. Yeah, he said, "You're on my <laughs> land now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, so you know, it, it kind of takes a quite a bit of smart to to figure that out. That you know, you can use your tail yeah. to if the fish are, are out swimming, you just remove the water. Another thing about Asian water monitors is that here in Singapore, they have actually become quite used to another species of animal that I think a lot of people here in Singapore are familiar with now, which is the smooth coated otters. So these are otters, which are pretty large, very much like the North American river otters. Highly sociable, they were actually almost extinct or maybe even extinct in Singapore for, for many years. They came back, uh, they're now thriving in many of our water bodies and waterways. And what the otters will do is that after they are done with fishing, they will, they will leave scraps behind because they don't always finish the fish that they, that they prey on. So there might be half a fish or a fish head, that sort of thing. And then the, the Asian water monitors will be nearby and then they will just happily eat, finish up all the scraps. And another thing that can happen sometimes, which I've witnessed before, is that when the, the otters have a, a bunch of little pups, they are still learning how to catch and consume fish. Sometimes you get a big mortal lizard, so they will just charge in, they will spook the little baby otters, they will scatter in a panic, and then the mortal lizard will just come in and grab the fish and then run off. Of course, this is dangerous because the, the adult otters will definitely go after the, the, the Asian water monitor. They're feisty. They They're ready feisty. to fight. Yes, they will throw hands. <laughs> There's actually a re- <laughs> there's actually a record of them smooth coated otters nipping Asian water monitors to death because they, they got too close to the pups. I believe it a hundred percent. I I witnessed small clawed otters mm-hmm. torturing a live frog. Oh, they were playing with it mm-hmm. by like rolling it down a hill and then like they would let it roll into the water and then pick it up and bring it back to the top of the hill and just roll it was a live totally living frog (laughs) and i noticed it was alive because one time it rolled down the little slope and into the water and then when it hit the water it started trying frantically to swim away Mm -hmm. and then the otter just picked it up and brought it back to the top of the hill like sisyphean like (laughs) like just kept like rolling it down the slope just having a ball it i don't think it even ate the frog it was just having fun that frog did not have a good day no <laughs> <laughs> it was a terrible time for the frog yeah and in fact the asian water monitors have also even been seen trying to go for otter pups so sometimes the family is out the asian water monitor just charges in grabs the pup the the one time it's been witnessed here in singapore the otter adults fought off the monitor lizard but that probably happens out in the wild sometimes when, when nobody's looking. So, you know, they, they, they are able to quickly adapt to all sorts of situations, um, all sorts of potential food sources. So in some places, uh, in Southeast Asia, where you have communities without very good waste disposal practices or infrastructure, all the food waste still gets thrown out into a open garbage dump. The Asian water monitors hang out there and just eat trash. It's free food. Yeah. 
Between the, you know, eating the sea turtle eggs out of their nest and the otter pups, I think they might be making some enemies here. Yeah. <laughs> like, those are, like, the two go-to, like, adorable baby animals. <laughs> They're just taking them out. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, they, they are serving an important function as predators and scavengers. You know, I mean, yeah. a, a lot of people find it easy to hate on reptiles but you know they're just doing their thing and you know you got you got to respect the way they've adapted so well which kind of leads, mm-hmm. leads me to another thing about their ingenuity is that it's not really about their smarts but it's it's their chaotic energy that Asian water monitors <laughs> have <laughs> I was thinking about what to, to talk about for this episode and I realised they're like cats in many ways because what they do is that just sit there they do nothing just lays in the sun for a few hours but then when they are active, they get into all sorts of mischief. So you get a lot of viral videos. If it's a monitor lizard in Southeast Asia doing something chaotic, <laughs> being in a place it's not supposed to be, it's an Asian water monitor. Right? So They get zoomies. Yeah. So basically what happens is that sometimes you, you get all these examples of, of uh, Asian water monitors getting into places where they shouldn't be. There was actually a pretty recent viral video where an Asian water monitor, a big one, got into a 7-Eleven store somewhere in, in a Thailand uh, city. <laughs> so there's this video, it, I think it, it went around the world quite a bit. So it's climbing the shelf, and this is a six-foot-long lizard <laughs> climbing I the shelf. I think I did see this, yeah, yes. That's the one, that's the Asian water monitor. It's like Doritos on the floor yeah, and stuff. <laughs> exactly. like... <laughs> yeah. Here in Singapore, we had one important uh, tourist highlight is, is the Formula 1 race. Where, because we, we, we are a stop along the Formula race. So back in 2016, there was one of the practice races, um, where the drivers, where the cars would go round and round the, the, the circuit, um, in preparation for the race. And an Asian water monitor sh- showed up on the track. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. And, and so it got captured on, on, on the in-car camera where this driver oh. was racing past this monitor. Luckily, <laughs> thankfully for Melissa, it, it dashed across and made it to safety on the other side. He just wanted to compete. Yeah. <laughs> Put him in, coach. Let him go. Yeah. It, it, it just showed up. Uh, there, there are videos of them, like in uh, multi-story parking lots, in buildings. Uh, there was a video of one that popped up of a toilet bowl. It's a, a little baby, you know, but you know, it still popped up of a toilet bowl <laughs> kind of thing. I think that a very common urban legend turned like personal nightmare of a lot of people is of like, it could be snakes, it could be spiders, it could be rats, whatever it is that you don't want anywhere near your toilet uh, coming up through the toilet. Like, I feel like every time I hear about a real life instance of that happening, that does not make me feel any better. That brings me no comfort to know that that's like an actual real thing that can happen. Yeah, so I, I think over here in Singapore or in Southeast Asia, a lot of times it's pythons that come out of the toilet bowl, but apparently mortal lizards can do that too, but, but little, little baby ones. There's this other video that I think has been shared around quite a bit. Is this lady, she's feeding a bunch of animals next to the edge of a pond. So there's some fish, there's some turtles, there's some pigeons uh, on the side. She's giving them pieces of bread and stuff. And then this large Asian water monitor comes in from the side. It's, it's behind a wall, so she can't see it. It comes in from the side, it goes for the fish right in front of her. <laughs> she panics and she jumps away and all the animals scatter and then what, the water monitor is just like, what? What happened? Like, <laughs> why? It, 
turns it from such like it it was such a peaceful like idyllic disney princess scene where she's like peacefully feeding these fish and then the asian water monitor just like kool-aid man bursts yeah. into the scene is like hey Surprise, guys I'm here. <laughs> just, it sounds like that is the kind of entrance there because you talked about them like falling from the tree and splashing into the water it sounds like they're just like throwing themselves violently into every possible situation <laughs> yeah it, it happens it's like sometimes you know you, you might be cycling on the on the path you know along the canals or just going for a jog and then you've got this huge lizard just lying there blocking the path and you just stop there mm, so what do i do now do i do, do, do i chase you away from the path or do i just good luck just turn around <laughs> They've gotten so used to people that in some parts of Thailand, uh, I've seen some, some videos from Thailand where they will start going for picnic scraps. So there's a picnic table with food that's been left there. They just climb, it, climb, climb up onto the table and just devour everything. As they should. Yeah. Waste not, want not. Exactly. So you know, they're coming so used to, to, to humans in some places that they are just starting to become like the de facto large predator slash scavenger in many of these places. I feel like a lot of places have their own special little, like, extremely brazen scavenger. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, you might have ibises or geese or six-foot lizards. (laughs) (laughs) Good for them, though. I mean, like, in a world that is becoming increasingly dominated by human presence, that is definitely something you want to have the ability to adapt to. So, like, that is uh, something that is serving them well and especially if they're i feel like they have the benefit of being pretty charismatic yes like i feel like if if this was a snake maybe this would play out differently Mm -hmm. i don't know if the perception of snakes is different in singapore than it is in the united states because we do not like snakes here it's also it's also very negative over here but we are trying to change some attitudes towards um, reptiles in general but i think the asian water monitor is kind of like one of those species that Especially because a lot of people at first, they think, oh, these are large, dangerous reptiles. And they keep thinking about Komodo dragons and how they can and do eat people when, when the opportunity arises. The Asian Water Monitor, by and large, they are harmless. I, w- I wouldn't say that they are completely harmless because, like I mentioned, they do have sharp teeth, they have sharp claws, they can scratch you, they can bite you. But their main weapon is the tail because they, 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 they whip it around if they are, they are threatened. So what you often see is that if a person gets too close to an Asian water monitor, they will puff themselves up, they will inflate their bodies to look a bit bigger, they start hissing, so they make this very loud, low hiss like... Mm, yeah, the lizard hiss. Yes, and then you see, you see the tail start, start to lash back and forth, and I've heard that the tail whip is so powerful that for the larger ones, if it hits you, it can break the skin. So it's, it's definitely quite nasty to be on the receiving end. And then sometimes if people do still persist and they get bitten by the mortal lizard, it's, it's not going, going to be very neat. And must remember that they eat a lot of carrion. So even without the venom. Mm, True. There's some nasty yeah. stuff in there that you don't want introduced to your bloodstream. <laughs> definitely. I do think that they maybe have the benefit of being kind of cute i think they're kind of cute i don't know how you think i don't know if you think they're kind of cute but uh what do you give them out of 10 for our final category which is aesthetics well for aesthetics it kind of like kind of dividing it slightly so as babies 10 out of 10 because when they're babies is when they're most distinctively patterned you have their the base color is black but they have this whole array of yellow bright yellow spots and stripes along the body and tail 
And it's, oh my it's really, really very, very attractive. I pulled up a picture. I think they're really cute. They have a they have a very like baby alligator sort of look to them. So I kind definitely of. could see how you would mistake one for a crocodile. Um, but yeah, those markings are like really striking. Very high contrast. Like the little yellow spots against the black makes it. I think it gives it like a starry night kind of aesthetic. It does, I think it does. they're very cute. Yeah, and then unfortunately. It doesn't last. <laughs> so, Aww. so as they grow older, all the, all the yellow patterns start to fade a bit. So when they are like in the awkward, gangly, juvenile teenage phase, not so cute and not so pretty in terms of the pattern. So those I would give maybe about six out of ten, seven out of ten. Okay. Right? Okay. But <laughs> if they survive and then they grow big, ten out of ten again, because that oh, is when sure. they get into the ginormous, impressive, awe-inspiring giant lizard like walking among dinosaurs exactly, sort you know, of it's like godzilla you know it's like it's like <laughs> you have to respect the chunkiness of some of them right this is something you do not want to step to yeah these are animals you do not want to mess with and and some of them even even in the large adult stage they still retain the some yellow patterns on their bodies it's, it's especially impressive when you see the males fighting so what this mortis will often do is that if they have to fight what they will sometimes do is the large males, they'll rear on their hind legs and they'll grapple each other. So it's like, it's kind of like if you watch those old, uh, kaiju movies, you know, Godzilla versus the monster of, of the week kind of thing. Just, or sumo wrestling, mm-hmm. you know, they're just hugging. They're kind of like hugging each other. A lot of people think they're hugging <laughs> or they're mating, but actually it's just two males having a wrestling match and whichever one gets pinned down to the ground first loses. Sounds like something you might tell your, like, if there's kids watching, you might be like, they're hugging, they're best friends. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's really awe-inspiring when you see two large males going at it in a a pond. You know, it's water splashing, you know, tail whipping back and forth, they might be hissing. It's a test of endurance because although they can be quite active when they need to, they do get tired quite quickly. So it's a way of to test who is dominant without having to resort to more violent means. Not to say that this is completely, they don't emerge unscathed because sometimes they might be a bit of nipping here and there. You will, you, and the, the claws on the front limbs do mess up the shoulders quite a bit. So sometimes after the fights, you will see the other, um, some of these males, they will have a lot of very bright pink scar tissue all over the upper back area because, you know, these are very powerful, very awesome creatures and, it's really amazing to think of how such a large reptile can, can live alongside human beings. There's actually some populations which are actually all black. So it, it's even more impressive. So they're completely black and uh, those are actually getting quite popular in the exotic pet trade. So there's one that also became kind of a meme or quite famous because these mortalists, when they are basking, they often go into split mode. So, you know, we talk about splitting. <laughs> we, we, we think about mammals splitting, but lizards do that too. Mortal lizards also do that. And, and this one, the position that it's, it's resting in and the angle that the photo was taken makes it look quite, uh, thick. If, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Just, just based on your description. Yeah. They got the legs akimbo. Yeah. And, uh, they're just, they're caked up. Yeah. It's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it, those are also really nice. Those apparently come from a population somewhere in southern Thailand, but they do have a very wide range of color patterns. You know, from all black to black with, with some yellow bits. And like I mentioned, they are really, really, really nice. 
even when they are big adults. They just need to, to survive that little gangly, awkward teenager phase. We all go through a couple years where we haven't quite figured out our aesthetic yet. Maybe you're experimenting with your fashion. Maybe you haven't quite figured out what hairstyle looks good on you. Like, we all have to go through a couple of years as teenagers where we haven't quite uh, grown into our looks just quite yet. So I can't fault them too much for that. Yeah. And I've, as I'm looking at a picture of, like, an adult one, I can definitely see the resemblance to, like you mentioned, the Gila monster. Um, cause it has that sort of like beaded like look where the, the scales on its body look almost like, it looks like it's like covered in beads. Like it looks like a bedazzled lizard. Yeah. That, that actually <laughs> kind of leads to a bit of a conservation thing. So the Asian water monitor is very heavily exploited for the skin trade. Some countries in Southeast Asia, they, there are large numbers of them being harvested from the wild. So if you buy, uh, let's say a handbag or shoes or belt that's made from one, from monitor lizard leather, Pretty high chance that it came from an Asian water monitor. Now, the species is not considered endangered because like I mentioned, it is doing very well in many parts of its range, but there are some places where there are some concerns about maybe whether the, the trade is sustainable, whether they are being harvested in a sustainable manner, whether the numbers are able to support that level of exploitation. There are also some places where they are losing habitats, areas like mangroves and wetlands, which they do depend on. Right, if they, if it's all cleared and paved over, that becomes a lot more challenging for them to survive in. Even though they do well with people, they are still vulnerable to other issues with that come with urbanization. So we do get a lot of cases of Asian water monitors getting hit by cars. Roadkill is a serious issue in many in some parts of their range, especially where they overlap with humans. Uh, and in some places, they get entangled in fishing lines and nets. They end up trying to to steal a fish and they get hooked as well, kind of thing. And in some places, people still hunt and eat Asian water monitors. Now, this is a traditional part of the diet in many communities. And in some places, it's more widely practiced than others. But in some places where it's it's really illegal to do so, some people still uh, hunt them. And in some places, it's not really necessary to, to go after water lizards right now because of, of the, the level of development that some of these places are, are at. Even here in Singapore, where we are a highly urbanized countries, sometimes when you point out a water lizard, you mention it, you get people who say, Oh, last, in the past, you know, when I was a young kid, I used to, I used to catch them and boil them in the soup, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm, okay. I, yeah, it's a, it's a different time now. I mean, they're like a large protein source yeah. that's, uh, you know, living around you and they're there. <laughs> I mean, no, no real issue if it's sustainable. Right, if if you're able right. to, to make sure that 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 you're not um, harvesting too many to the point that that they become rare. One thing I've got to mention is that here in many parts of Southeast Asia, we do also have issues with other introduced species. So I'm sure many listeners will be familiar with the issue of cats, right? Outdoor cats, feral cats, and the toll they they take on on native wildlife. One other animal which a lot of people are not too familiar with in terms of its impacts on native species are dogs. In most of North America and Europe, we don't really get that many feral dogs running out in city areas. But in many parts of Asia, we do have stray dogs, feral dogs. I mean, I, I, I love dogs. And it's quite unfortunate that these dogs are, are forced to fend for themselves out in the streets. And they do not often lead very nice, happy lives. But there are some, uh, especially here in Singapore, where they'll be pushed to the corners of the rural areas. And what they often do is that you get these packs of feral dogs. They'll be running around in the nature reserves, in the mangroves, chasing other animals. And unfortunately, 
they will often go for Asian water monitors. So you get, you will get a pack of three or four dogs surrounding the monitor lizard. It's trying to defend itself. It's whipping around, whipping its tail, lashing out, trying to bite the dogs. But because the dogs have the advantage of numbers, and eventually the monitor lizard maybe tires out. Eventually what you get is the dog will grab the monitor lizard by the neck and shake it and then maul it and then they'll drag it off. So it is, it is a, an issue that some people have, have uh, flagged up before because dogs kind of don't really belong in a nature reserve with all their native wildlife. It's kind of sad sometimes to, to see things happening when, when you get a, such a large, impressive creature being taken down by, by a pack of stray dogs. So, so what's interesting is that the, the Asian water monitor, I mean, in, in a more intact ecosystem, it wouldn't even be a top uh, carnivore. You would have to deal with things like tigers and leopards and crocodiles. You have large eagles too, yeah, like, a large right? like big, big birds of prey. Yeah. yeah. But in the urban areas, once they are adult size, they're pretty much immune to most predators, maybe except for humans and domestic dogs. So the babies, they get taken by other animals, uh, snakes, birds of prey, other monitor lizards. But the big ones, they're only really taken by things like crocodiles. Over here in Singapore, we've got a small but recurring population of, of saltwater crocodiles in one of our nature reserves. So every once in a while, we get photographers witnessing a large crocodile taking an Asian water monitor. It's very impressive. It's quite gruesome as well because the monitor lizard takes quite a bit of time to subdue, even for a crocodile. Mm. And then sometimes you also get cases of uh, Asian water monitors being taken by large pythons. So there was one time uh, in one of my old in my old job, I came to the office one day, and then the, my colleague told me that hey, there's a python in, in the back outside the office because they they, they just caught one right um, that was in the visitor area. So you know the pythons out there, and given that this is a public area where there'll be people walking around, they didn't want to have the python out in the open where where people might hurt it or where it might lash out and hurt someone. So, so they caught the python. They wanted to, to release it somewhere else in the reserve after that. But the python had actually swallowed an Asian water monitor. Uh oh. Yep. And, <laughs> in, and in the midst of the capture, it had puked up the entire monitor lizard. So, so when, when, I, when I went to the site where he had been caught, there was a large, very dead, five foot long Asian water monitor just lying there on the ground. Uh, <laughs> like, can you not? Like- <laughs> That is so rude. <laughs> yeah. It's like when your cat just like pukes and the, and cats will always puke right on the carpet. Like mm-hmm. they'll never puke on tile or something that would be easy to clean. <laughs> they make sure it's going to be a huge pain. Yeah. The snake was like, you know what? I'm mad at you guys for catching me. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> this is your problem now. <laughs> In a turnabout way, there was a video in Singapore of a dead python that a uh, Asian water monitor was trying to to eat, but the python was too big and too long. So oh, honey. So, so while I think more than half the python was down the monitor lizard's throat, the monitor lizard oh, just baby. went, <laughs> and the whole thing came out again. <laughs> we've all been there. Listen, we've all taken too big of a bite. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking about really big bites, um, like I mentioned earlier on the the red sliders. So for the most part. The, the mortal lizards, they go for the eggs. They can go for small turtles. The big turtles are mostly immune to, to predation by the mortal lizards, except when, they, when they're dead. But I've seen video, uh, photos and videos of really big Asian water monitors. They will, when they go for the, the red-eared slider turtles, they kind of just eat the entire thing, shell and all. So it's like taking a very Ooh. big bite Ooh. of a ginormous burger. The whole turtle, <laughs> 
it's it's so horrifying, but so awesome, incredibly awesome as well. Because the turtle is, you know, it's just the head is in its shell. It's just picking out the shell, and the whole thing just sliding down the hatch of the mortal lizard. And the mortal lizard has got its mouth is just like opened up. That cannot be a pleasant experience. Like that, it can't have good mouth feel. <laughs> just like that can't feel good to eat. This feels like rocks, like a giant rock in my mouth. <laughs> something else at that point yeah. like because that can't be easy to digest either like that lizard is gonna have a really bad time in a few days yeah. <laughs> but it's probably a sign of, of how powerful their digestion is as well because they can process bones they can process eggshells they can process rotting meat and all that in fact water monitors have have sometimes been been used to find uh, human bodies to be out there so you know if you if you're looking for a missing person you You'll find you see a bunch of water monitors all gathering in a place. Mm, they, um, there might be a body there. When you said that, I, the first thing that came to mind was like cops with a an Asian water monitor on a leash, <laughs> like go, like go, giving fetch. it a piece of the person's clothes and being like, "Go find him, boy!" Like you had like <laughs> like instead of the canine unit, they had like a lizard unit. Yeah, <laughs> go find him. Unfortunately, on the other hand, because of the way Asian water monitors consume bodies. Sometimes if you recover a body that's been scavenged by Asian water monitors, you look at the damage to the body, you don't hmm, was it done by a weapon or was it the the lizards that, that did this? So it, it oh, kind of like Lord. leads to all the you know, they're just chaotic, you know. They they don't follow our <laughs> rules necessarily. They're making their own rules. Yeah. They're carving out their own little place in society. Exactly. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily uh, conform to our. They just they don't have manners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know they just they just do their own thing. And even though they're so commonplace throughout the region here in Singapore, a lot of people don't really don't even know what they are. One common thing is that when people see them, they say, "Oh, look at the Komodo dragon." That kind of thing. Did it escape from the zoo? That sort of thing. So. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people in many parts of the world, they might be more familiar with wildlife that they see or learn about from books and from TV shows, not so much what actually lives beside them. So because Komodo dragons get all the attention in the media, whether it's, it's pop culture or nature documentaries, people know more about Komodo dragons than they do about Asian water monitors, even if they might be living right next to Asian water monitors. So people call them Komodo dragons, they call them crocodiles, they call them iguanas, which is understandable because many of the older generations here in some parts of the world that he used to call monitors iguanas. In fact, goanna is, is a, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, it kind of evolved from the, from the, from the word iguana because the colonists. Oh, that's funny. I totally see it. Yeah, when the colonists came to Australia, they saw these large lizards and they called them iguanas and over time it, it shifted into goanna. So, you know, we're trying to dispel a lot of these basic errors in, in identifying animals. And not only that, but also learning to accept them for what they are. They aren't like cute and cuddly furry creatures. They are not dangerous, vicious animals. They're not monsters, right? Give them space, give them respect, uh, learn how to safely interact with them. And I think, you know, it kind of like boils down to trying to instill the idea of being able to coexist with wildlife of all sorts, whether it's talking, you're talking about birds or reptiles or insects or all the other many creatures that are just trying to eke out an existence alongside human beings. 
And you know, I think the, the Asian water monitor is it's one of those species that it refuses to to disappear. It refuses to just okay, humans are here. I'm just going to hide in the forest. I'm never going to come out. You know, I'm just going to become endangered and completely dependent on on human conservation efforts. No, nope, I'm going to stick my claim. I'm here. <laughs> you are going to notice me. I'm going to make my make myself seen. They're like, if you didn't want six foot lizards walking down your street, then you shouldn't have put your streets where there was already a six foot lizard. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, oh, this is my swamp. You know, this was my swamp. <laughs> Get <laughs> out of my swamp. Exactly. <laughs> no, this was my river. No, this was my yeah. this was my beach. So I'm not moving, you move. Yeah. Oh, you're trying to get a tan here? Oh, you're in the pool? <laughs> oh, this pool is a nice little pond, you know? Like, I'll just take a swim next to you. They said, thanks for the free pond. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know? So it's like, they're an iconic species of the region that I think deserves a lot of respect and attention. And I think like, Komodo dragons are cool. They're neat animals, not to, not to hate on them. They're really nice. But you know, they're kind of like the A-listers that kind of like, they need to make make way for for the other monitor lizard species, and I think the Asian water monitor is another one that really deserves a lot more attention. Yeah, and and hopefully you know that's what we've accomplished here today. I I hope that a lot of people listening have been like, you know what? Actually, yeah, maybe it can uh, feel like the experience of when you've been living in a place for like years, and then you finally meet your next door neighbor, and you're like, oh, you're actually really cool, and you've lived next door to me this whole time, and we just never knew. So uh, I, I hope that some people can have that experience. I'd be like, oh, because I, I find something so like charming about a very punk rock animal that's like, actually, I'm going to make a place for myself in your human society. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do really hilarious stuff, like show up in places where you don't think I belong because I do belong there. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is my world. You're just living in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, like in Bangkok, there's a park called Lumpini Park where the most iconic animals there are the Asian water monitors. So there's a there, there are some people who go there and say they're like squirrels because they're everywhere. <laughs> and and I do think they have their own type of charisma in that way. And that maybe like you said, maybe they're not you know the cuddliest and the fluffiest and what what I think they're very cute, but probably not what a lot of people would think of as the cutest animal in the world. But they do have their own sort of sense of humor about them, exactly. right? And and personality and and their own charisma in that way. So as we're wrapping up for today, I would love it if you could let people listening know if there's any like projects that you're working on right now or anywhere you know that you'd like to direct people to either keep up with your work or you know anywhere you would like to direct people. To to go after listening to this. Okay, so I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, but the, my bad habit is that I will start social media accounts, but I don't keep up with them. I just, I just I feel that I just lurk <laughs> around and, and read and retweet and, and and follow and like stuff. I I like to shout out the just a zoo of us Discord because I think that's where I'm actually. Mm. If uh for for listeners, that's where actually where you can find me most easily. And you post some really incredible stuff in there, too. You're always posting, like, pictures of, like, amazing animals and, and plants that you see on in your parks and stuff. Yeah, so you can find me at Discord. I actually do do have a little podcast. It's called uh, Wild Red Dot. It's actually run by myself and a friend of mine, Pedro. So it kind of, like, cover a lot of local news and some issues about wildlife in Singapore. So it's a very local podcast if you'd like to hear more of my voice and me going on and on about wildlife in Singapore. That's awesome. I'll have a link to that uh, so that anybody listening can scroll through and check it out. Yeah. 
another, another part of the work that I do, I also do wildlife surveys. So sometimes here in Singapore, there might be upcoming development projects for upcoming infrastructure. So maybe people want to clear an area of land for, let's say, uh, a new housing development or for other forms of infrastructure. And very often these are areas that are currently forested or they might be near areas that might be affected by development. So my job is to go into these places, uh, usually as part of a team of people. We walk around, we do surveys of the wildlife, we try to look out for all the different species that might be found in this area. So usually things like birds, mammals, insects, some other species, reptiles and amphibians and all that. So we, we try to do a checklist of things that are there. So maybe what's, are there any endangered species? Are there any areas that, that should be protected or should be conserved? Like, you know, are there any, any, if let's say it's a housing project, can we maybe propose that this particular area should be turned into a park instead of being cleared um, as part of the project sort of thing? Or, or should we, should we try and do an assessment of, you know, what's the, the impact on the wildlife if this development goes ahead? So this is a, an area that is actually kind of like growing quite a fair bit in Singapore because this was, all these kind of environment assessments were not really being done very much in the past. And right now, when there's a greater emphasis on conservation and biodiversity protection, we are actually doing quite a lot more work in this regard. So I do a lot of nature guiding with uh, tourists, with students and other groups, but, but the other part of my job involves me going out into the forest, usually in places without any trails. Um, so it's literally just walking through the forest or some other habitat and just, you know, just try and look, look for wildlife. And this gives me opportunities to, to spot certain cool species, including Asian water monitors and the occasional Kolugo as well. I would lose my mind. I'd be so excited. But that's, that's such a good, like, I'm glad to hear that conservation is becoming a higher priority as, like, development is expanding, right? That that is being done with ecological preservation in mind, right? Like, I'm, I'm glad that that is a, a higher priority. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you win, you win, sometimes you lose. So sometimes, you know, people will lament, oh, you know, the government is just going to, going to clear another aspect of forest. But sometimes they, they don't realize that there's, it actually involves a very long painstaking process of research that goes on beforehand. Um, then the consultation, the planning, the negotiation, the compromise between, between the, the need for development and conservation. And sometimes we do actually, we are actually sometimes able to get the authorities to decide, yes, we will set aside this area of land for a, not as a nature reserve, but maybe it's a park or some other green space, which is just kind of a win already. It's, it's already a lot better compared to if, let's say, you had raised the entire area and the entire habitat is lost. At least you might be able to keep certain pockets of it, certain small portions. It's very complicated. A lot of these nuances often very, it's often lost when it comes to conversations about conservation. But I do like to think that we are making some progress, at least here in Singapore. That's awesome. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to tell us about not just the Asian water monitor, but also about, you know, the landscape it lives in, and the sort of ecological context. And I really appreciate your time and your knowledge today. Thank you so much for talking to us, Ivan. You're most welcome, Ellen. I'm glad to, to talk about this species. As you can tell, I'm really passionate about, about the Asian water monitor. And- Rightfully so. They deserve it. And how important it is, you know, in, in our landscapes here. You know. It's kind of like the, the American alligators in, in Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, they are an icon. Maybe you don't get the Asian automators chomping on someone like the alligators <laughs> do. But still, they are very much a species that, that you will notice wherever you are. If you're, if you're near a water body somewhere in Southeast Asia.
If you're going to have an animal that you're going to see everywhere, it's good that it's this one. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. We will talk to you later, Ivan. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you've learned from the Asian Water Monitor to throw yourself dramatically into the world, brazenly crashing through life. If you liked what you heard, I hope you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice, like Apple user Polychromatic Fella, who said that they have listened to every episode and that the podcast has, quote, brought back a childhood passion for animals. Thank you for coming on this journey with us, and I'm really thrilled that we could help you reconnect with nature. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Links to everything will be in the episode description. You can send me an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear us talk about on the show. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us in their network alongside the other amazing shows like the ones that you heard promos for earlier today. You can check those out and learn more about the network and how you can be a part of supporting our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. That's all for today. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.